Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. You can open your Bibles to John chapter 10. We were in John chapter 9 last week, of course, the healing of the blind man, the man born blind. And this was a miracle that Jesus did that really got the attention of the authorities. Lots of them did. And, uh, of course, it was a Sabbath when he opened his eyes, and they brought him in and grilled him and tried to get him to, tried to get this guy to basically disavow Jesus. You know, tell us, tell us how he really did it, because obviously he's a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath, and the guy stood up to him. Uh, All that to say, they put him out of the synagogue. This was a big deal. This is why his parents, remember, uh, last week when we were talking about this, when they brought in his parents and were were putting all these questions to them, uh, all they were willing to answer was, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. We're not going to go any further than that. We're not going to wade into this discussion of how he sees now. Because they knew that the, the Pharisees had pretty, made it very clear that if anybody at that point confessed Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue, and that was to be put out of the core of their community. So they said, he's of age. We don't have to answer for him. So ask him. So they asked him, and he said, well, this, this, this man put mud in my eyes. And Well, who was he? How did he? Well, I don't know. He's gone by the time I came back seeing. All I can tell you is he's from God, because if he weren't from God, he couldn't do anything, and they... That's when they're like, nope, sorry, that's too much of a ringing endorsement of the guy we're trying to bring down, so you're out of here. And then Jesus comes and sits with him and says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, where is he that I may believe in him? He says, you have seen him, and it's him who's talking to you now. So this is where they're at. And now what I said all that, not just to uh, replay last week's sermon, but to set the stage for this next part, because there's some passages in this in, in uh, there's a couple of famous verses in this passage and you need it'll help you understand what's being said here uh, if you understand and remember that these conversations this conversation is taking place in the immediate aftermath of not only this man's healing but of his being put out of the synagogue now let's uh let's dive in chapter 10 ver- and we'll read pretty much this whole chapter just not all at once Uh, Chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Stop there for now. When Jesus talks about coming in the right way, uh, you know, coming in the door and not climbing up the walls or whatever. He's, he's basically talking about his legitimate claim to the leadership of the people. That he's been sent by God the Father 
And he is absolutely contrasting himself to the thieves and the robbers, which in this case are the Jewish authorities. Okay? Don't get too hung up. Well, wait a second. Is he the shepherd? Uh, Is he the door? Or is he, what is he? Um, He's he's basically talking, and there's a number of, you can do some studies. Uh, The thing is, it's like so many other things. There's not 100% agreement uh, on exactly what he's asking people to picture. There are some who say, well, typically what you had uh, in neighborhoods were uh, small little pens that people would keep a couple of the family sheep in, and the shepherd would come by daily, and the sheep would recognize his voice. Uh, Any stranger could come by and try to attract the sheep to steal them or whatever, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't respond. But the shepherd, sometimes he had a flute that he would play a particular tune or something like that, and the sheep would respond. And this shepherd would take all the neighborhood sheep out to a place to feed, and then there would be a larger sheep pen or fold out there. Could have been that, uh, or it could have been just a larger flock that they're talking about here. Don't get hung up on those particular details, because what Jesus is talking about, again, is, I am here legitimately. And the direct application to what we're talking about in this context, and the reason I mentioned last week, is this man who had been ejected or excommunicated from the synagogue was now part of Jesus' flock. And Jesus is saying this partly to make the case that anybody who gets out of your sheep pen there and gets into mine is much better off. The synagogue is a toxic place because of the leadership and their motives. He'll develop that here in just a second. They want to, what they, but here's what he's accusing them. They're thieves and robbers because they want to keep themselves in power. This is why they want the people in the synagogues, so they, they, they can continue to exercise authority over them. And, of course, that makes them the beneficiaries of the people's offerings. And uh, so he's, he's given this man credit for following the true shepherd. He could have compromised. He could have said, well, you guys know more than I do. You're right. I'm just glad he healed my eyes. But who am I to say he's from God or anything else? But he didn't. He spoke up boldly in favor and in defense of the man who healed his eyes. It cost him his place in the synagogue, but it made him a part of Jesus' flock. Much better place to be. Actually, it was to his benefit to be out of that religious mess. Let's pick it up in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Again, the door. That's kind of interesting because uh, they, they, they do have uh, examples of this that you can see remnants of today, I think. They were, like, they were stones that were piled up as a sheep pen out when they kept the sheep out overnight grazing. And there would be an opening in this stone wall that the shepherd would sleep in. And he was there basically to protect the sheep from wild animals that would come by, wolves specifically. Uh, but in this case, Jesus is saying he's not, just, he's not the guy who sits in the doorway. He's the door. And the people can come in and go out through him under his protection, under his supervision. Uh, But the most famous verse in this passage so far there is verse 10, right? The thief comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And who are we thinking about when we say the thief? Satan. And it's all right 
to mean that because he absolutely is a thief. And he does come to kill, steal, and destroy. But, but technically, Jesus is still talking about the Pharisees here. These are the thieves that Jesus is talking about. Now, are they agents of Satan in this case? Are they being used? Are they being manipulated? Are they doing God's work? Are they doing the devil's work? They're doing the devil's work. He's the one that's motivating them. And in the broader uh, sense, of course, we, we can clearly, it's accurate and therefore ultimately scriptural to say that the thief, the thief, is the devil. But again, he is contrasting himself to the Pharisees. They have come in their leadership and in their supposed concern for you. How do they act? How is their response all the time? It's not to this guy, hey, come in here and sit with us and let us counsel you. We care about you. We're glad you have your sight back. But don't let the fact, this is, I'm just being them if they truly were concerned. They were wrong. But they, they still could have played it like, you know, we, we're glad you have your sight back. But don't let the fact that something good happened to you cause you to follow them. I mean, what if somebody came up and uh, gave you a million dollars and said, but, you know, now since I gave you a million dollars, you have to worship my God. Uh, I mean, let's uh, take this thing slowly. Tell us why you think this man's of God, and we'll try to set you straight. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They said, if anybody confesses him as the Christ, you're out. They're ruling with a heavy hand. What was their motive? That wasn't for the people's good, was it? They were the only ones that could benefit from this system. And that's stealing. That's being a thief. And ultimately, this would destroy people. And if the people continued to submit to that kind of toxic leadership, it would kill them. And I mean kill them in the spiritual sense because it would keep them from ever confessing Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah, and therefore they couldn't be saved. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And then he's going to explain this. But it is a good thing to remember. Uh, if you ever are uh, unfortunate enough to get into a discussion with people who say that Christianity is all about suffering in this world so that we can enjoy the next one, uh, that's absolutely wrong. Does Jesus promise suffering? Yes, but he promises it alongside and woven through the abundant life. The abundant life begins right here and right now if you are a believer. So, he goes on to say in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have, listen to this part, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. This is so different from the leadership provided by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because now he's not just talking about doing good things for the sheep, but laying his life down for the sheep. 
Now, what's this, what's he talking about here? He's he's introducing a new concept that they're uh, into this discussion. He's not just talking about I love them and I'm going to take care of them. You're just trying to exploit them. He's talking about sacrificing himself for the sheep that he loves. And of course, he's not talking about literal sheep. He's talking about us. He's talking about the people who are following him. But when he talks in verse 16 about sheep I have which are not of this fold, this is uh, famously quoted by um, Mormons as uh, being America. He's th- this is their justification and their scriptural basis for the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. They say that when he talks about sheep that are not of this fold, they believe that Jesus visited this, con- this continent and appeared to the early Native American inhabitants and presented himself to them. And uh, then, of course, you know, the angel you know, buried these gold plates with his words and everything until Joseph Smith dug them up and found them. But okay, that's not what he's talking about. Who are the sheep that are not of his fold? Anybody want to take a guess? The Gentiles. Yeah, that's a pretty easy one, especially if you've been paying attention on Sunday mornings. He's talking about the Gentiles. Right now, the people that are following him are all the Jews. Not all the Jews. They are all Jews. He has a, a a Jewish discipleship, but he's, he's saying he is already uh, prophesying that this, this fold, this sheepfold, this, uh, the, the shepherd is going to be shepherd not just over the Jews. He's not just going to be the Savior and the Messiah for the Jewish nation, but for the world. Very exciting stuff. More important and very appropriate, considering the season we're in, is he's making a specific reference to his death and his resurrection. No one takes my life. When he talks about laying his life from the sheep, he's not just talking about throwing himself in front of a bullet. He is laying his life down. He's doing it purposely. Not only that, I'm going to take it up again. I have the power to do that. I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it back up. Pretty bold talk. Pick it up here in verse 19. <laughs> Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, it keeps coming back to that. They are still having this discussion in the shadow of a major miracle. This wasn't a guy who needed glasses. This was a guy who was born blind. Jesus did a creative miracle restoring this guy's sight, and everybody in that area knew it. They knew the guy. They knew it. Nobody was arguing, did he really do it? It was just by what authority? How did he do it? Because if he's not the Christ, then we have a, we have a problem explaining this thing. But if he is the Christ, we also have a problem because he's not the Christ we're looking for. Um, verse 19. Uh, we did that part. Verse 20. Let's skip to verse 25. Jesus, uh, no, 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 let's don't. <laughs> let's, let's read on here. 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. We're going to come back to that question here toward the end, but I I just want you to hear that, and does it strike you as kind of funny? All right? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's just read on here. Let's uh, finish this uh, chapter. Then the Jews took up stones again (laughs) to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? Before you start throwing those rocks, tell me what I did to deserve this. Jesus answered him saying, Jesus answered him uh, saying, sorry, the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Let me stop and explain that here for a second. Uh, He's referring to uh, Psalm 82 where it does say uh, you are gods. And he's he's actually berating the people for, for their bad judgment. He's specifically talking to the judges, those who are ruling in Israel. And he said, you are gods. You are all the children of the king. What's he mean by that? And we would say, it's easy for us, we just put a little g. But still, there's only one God. But he was saying, what God is saying is, because I am the one who delegated delegated this authority to you, put you in this position, not just the judges, but all of you people, you're supposed to be this light. You are supposed to be acting on my behalf. Just like it's, and again, this is an easier concept for us today because as New Testament believers, the Spirit of God actually indwells us, doesn't he? Doesn't he? We are supposed to do the works of Jesus. We are supposed to sound like Jesus. We are supposed to act like Jesus. We are supposed to represent Jesus. But it's this concept that God was, was uh, saying back in the Old Testament. You are God's. And the Jews of Jesus' day, they understood that statement. They would not be offended by somebody reading that particular psalm in the synagogue because they understood the context. Well, when God said you are God's, he was just simply talking about the extraordinary responsibility and the extraordinary rights his children and his people had at that time in that age. But Jesus turns it on him and says, if that doesn't bother you that God himself called these people God's, and did it in, this, in a rebuking uh, context, by the way, why should it bother you that I, the very one that's been anointed by God and who was sent by God into this world, why should it bother you that I say I am the Son of God? And then goes on in verse 37. If I, don't do, if I do not do the works of my Father... Don't believe me. Sorry, I'll just read it like it is. Do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. 
And he went away beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. Now, this is a nice little section here in verse 37 and 38 when he says, hey, look, if you don't believe me, at least believe the works I'm doing. You can look at the works. This, let's just look at the blind thing again. This is the thing that people kept coming back to including the blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Uh, in all of history, it's never been heard that, that, that anyone, any man has opened the eyes of somebody born blind. If this, if this man weren't from God, he, can, he couldn't do anything. And then even some of the Jewish authorities. All right? Could a, he, you can't say he's demon-possessed. He opened the guy's eyes. He cured this guy's blindness. There's something to this guy. I agree. He's not, what we're, he's, he's not the guy we wish he was. He's not going about this the way we want to go about it. But we've got, we got to take this seriously because this is a God kind of act. And Jesus, if, if you go back to what he was saying, well, let me, let me start with this. When he says, do the works of my Father, and if you can't believe, if you're not starting from the standpoint of believing me, then at least believe the works so that you can believe in me. Uh, I, as you know, most of you know, I do not believe this statement. And uh, um, it's a statement I've heard from a minister that I have a great deal of respect for. But, he, but I think he's absolutely incorrect about this when he says the entire role of the miracle in the Old and the New Testament is as an apologetic, meaning it's there to prove something. And it's not. Uh, Jesus, again and again, tells us he's moved with compassion. He didn't have to heal the multitudes to prove anything. And in fact, I reject that notion based on the words of Jesus because the, uh, on the times when they came to him and demanded a sign as proof, on those occasions, he said no. So if it was all about an apologetic, that wasn't it. But he did say they did serve the role of an apologetic, a defense for his identity. As he told them, you, can, you guys know, you guys have seen this. You know I did this. So at least... Look at the work and believe on me on account of that. We'll back up to this in a second. He's going to go to Bethany next, in the next chapter, and do another major miracle. (laughs) In fact, it's going to be bigger, and it's going to be more troublesome to the Jews than the healing of this blind guy. And what's going to happen as a result of this one, we're seeing how they're wrestling with this miracle, major miracle of the man who was born blind receiving his sight. And they're wrestling with this. We, got, we can't ignore this. We've got to do something. I think if they had it in their power to take this guy's sight away, they would. Now we don't have to deal with it anymore. Why do I think that? Because what he's going to do next is raise Lazarus from the dead. And do you know what they plotted to do after that? Kill Lazarus. We can't explain this guy. Everybody knows he died. Because it wasn't like he was there and did CPR. The guy was dead for four days. And everybody knows he was dead. And it's really hard to explain this, so why don't we just kill Lazarus? It reveals their hearts, doesn't it? This is where their their hearts were. Jesus talks a lot here about his sheep, knowing his voice, following him. This, if you were going to make a case for Calvinism, this would be a good place to start. And I mean Calvinism with the... uh, uh, 
with respect to the idea that some are predestined for heaven, some are predestined for hell. God is going to save who he has decided to save by the counsel of his will, and you have absolutely no free will when it comes to that. All right? I don't buy that. I'm not a Calvinist, okay? But if you were going to make the case, this is the, part, this is the place where you would start because, hey, you know why you're not following me? Because you're not my sheep. Do you know why these people are following me? Because they are my sheep. But if that's all there were to it, then look at verse 38 again. But if I do, do the works of my Father, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Now, are they his sheep or not? Because it looks to me like it's up to them. It looks like Jesus' heart is for them to believe. And if it weren't possible for them to believe, then this is just a pretty cruel thing to say. You know, when you go back to verse 24, when they said, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Do you really think it would have made a difference? Because he, he turns right around and says, look, I told you. Well, he never, did he ever really just tell them that? Well, he's told them in many ways. First thing he says is, my works bear witness of it. But if he had just said, what if he'd said, oh, you know what, I'm sorry. I thought I made that clear. Thanks for asking. Yes, yes, I am the Messiah. Do you think it would have made an iota of difference to the Pharisees? I don't think it would. Because again, they would have me, okay, if you're the Messiah, then why? They'd start challenging it. It's like today when people say, well, you hear about these miracles that are happening. How come nobody's ever filmed uh, a, 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 a missing limb growing back or filmed you know, uh, an x-ray showing this happening or that? You know what? If they did, it, you could present photographic evidence, and you know what the people who are the naysayers will say? Photoshopped. It's fake. It's digital. You cannot convince somebody who, who absolutely does not want to be convinced. Check your heart. The Pharisees had their mind made up. But Jesus is telling them, look, I, I get it. I'm not the guy you think you're looking for, so you don't believe. Would you then just examine my works? If you find out that the works I'm doing are not the works of God, then you go right on disbelieving. But if you find I'm doing the works of God, and I am, believe on me on account of the works and let the rest of that catch up with you. You still can be my sheep. Our will has a lot to do with it, doesn't it? So where are we in this story? I know most of us have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, Praise and worship team, you can be coming on up here. But... Do we know him as the good shepherd? Do we truly see him as the one who gives himself for us, gives himself to us because he loves us? Stand up while I close this out. Because there's another question we have to ask. Jesus could make the claims and make the demands on these Jews that he was talking to, these Jewish authorities, because Jesus was, everything he did was demonstrating the will and the person and the character of the Father. And everything he did was, you know, it was of the Father when he healed an individual. It was of the Father when he healed the multitudes. And everything about his healing showed us This is the 
This is what God does in this situation. He heals. He is the healer, therefore he heals. He has compassion on the people, therefore he heals. This is why the people were responding to him. It wasn't just his power, although that was a big part of it. They responded to the way he spoke. Even the people who went to arrest him, remember a week or two ago we looked at that, the, the Jews sent some people to arrest him. Why? You came back without him, why? Because nobody ever spoke like this man. They loved the way he spoke with authority. They loved his love. They loved his compassion. They felt safe. They felt blessed. What happens when, when, they, when they gather on a hillside to listen to him? What happens? They get fed. The Pharisees aren't blessing them like this. They're showing, a, they're, what, they're, what the Pharisees are doing, these Jewish authorities, are painting a really ugly picture of God to the Jews, let alone to the world. Jesus is going to bring sheep from outside of that fold because he is so winsome. But he's going to do that through us. When we talk about live the gospel, preach the gospel, that's where the living part gets really important. Are the people who Jesus desires to bring in and be their shepherd, are they going to be attracted to him? Are they going to recognize his voice on what the Bible calls the day of visitation? When the gospel penetrates their minds, and we've talked about there's statistics that talk about how many times a person has to hear the gospel before it really clicks. It's like 37 or something like that. I can't remember. There's like a specific number. I mean, it's not the same for everybody, but average. Anyway, when that happens, and, they, and they, they're like, oh, I get it now. It's something that they see in you and in me that's going to cause them to take that step. Are we representing the kind, the God accurately? Because if we are, then when God calls, they're going to recognize his voice. You see what I'm saying? If the voice, if we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, speaking the words of God, doing the works of Jesus, and the things we're doing and the things we're saying are ugly to them, are repulsive to them, it might be because they have a hard heart but it might be because we're doing a bad job being Jesus for them. So we've got to be very, very careful. They have to, it, we must, if Jesus, the God, God the Son, creator of the universe, is willing to lay his life down for the sheep, and there's a whole, boy, you ought to hear a, somebody with a shepherd's background preach on these passages like this in Psalm 23. Sheep are stupid animals. And Psalm 23, you know, talks about his rod and his staff. They comfort me. The staff was for leading and guiding and, and prodding and keeping them safe. The rod was for discipline. But you see, you know, when the shepherd loves you, when the person who has authority over your life loves you, even the discipline can be a pleasant thing. Are we willing to submit to that? Are we willing to show this? Or do we just want to show up with that rod in our hand and say, I am Jesus to you and you better do what I say and turn or burn and all this other stuff. There's some truth to that. But we've got to do it in love. We've got to do it in a spirit of gentleness. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to pray a longer-ish longer prayer here to, to end this service. And then we're going to sing. And when we start singing, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord, this is where it starts. I don't want to just see you in heaven. I don't want to just see you saved. I want to see you here. I, once you become a child of God, 
Your main occupation on this earth is as a minister, a fellow minister. We are called to minister the gospel. You come here to be equipped. God places gifts in our midst, like pastors, teachers, etc., for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We've got work for you to do, but it starts with you confessing Christ and becoming that child of God. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that, today is your day. Tonight's your night. I want you to come and let me pray with you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.